Welcome back to Birds and Swords. Today we are going to go over one of my new favorite games, Amori. We're here with Micah. Micah. What's up? What's up? What's up? How are you doing today? I'm amazing. <laughs> Great. So like I said, today we're going to talk about Amori. For those who don't know, Amori is a turn-based role-playing game. It came out on PC and it was a strictly PC game for a long time. And recently it was relaunched onto console so you can play it on your PlayStation 4, 5, Xbox One series, or your Switch. Uh, It doesn't matter. It's out for you guys. And essentially what this game is, it is depressing, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I guess is the best way to describe it. What it does is uh, Amori is going to transport you in between a kind of dream core aesthetic of a world and a very typical, normal, uh, uneventful town Uh, While you go through these experiences of trauma, grief, loss, sadness all together. Yeah, very much focuses on mental health. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you play as Amori, kind of this monochrome, I want to say dispassionate character as he traverses a very dreamlike, fantastical world uh, with his best friends. uh, Very whimsical, very childlike. Uh, It plays very much like an old Pokemon game. Anyone who hasn't played it, definitely check it out. I've been streaming it a little bit on our Birds and Swords Twitch. I've been joining. Yes, Micah has been watching. He's had lots of great comments, questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been super fun playing with you. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. So we'll get right into a couple uh, review topics, jumping right into the gameplay of the game. Uh, Like I said, it plays a lot like an old-style Pokemon game, top-down 8-bit style. Your friends are going to follow you around while you explore this pastel and neon palette world. feels very much like a fever dream in the scenarios that you're going to be exploring. Nothing seems to make sense, yet somehow it can be related to the normal, mundane world that you kind of juxtapose in the game. Uh, The battle system, turn-based, traditional turn-based, you have four characters you play as the same characters in every battle. What's interesting about Amori is that instead of like elemental attacks, we have emotions. So we have happy, sad, and angry, and each emotion affects your stats. So for instance, happy is higher speed and hit rate, sad is higher defense, but When you get hit, you also lose some of your magic power. So you kind of have to figure out what's going to work best in each battle. Uh, And each emotion, much like elemental attacks in a lot of RPGs, will be stronger or weaker against each other. And they do actually give you a really cute drawing that shows you what works better yeah, with little others. Chart. Yeah, very yeah. like the whole game is very childish and cute. And I found that you typically use sad more than anything from what I've watched on your stream so far. Is there a reason for that? I I think that it's mostly I use sad a lot because it's high defense, um, which is good for especially like boss battles for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but which is interesting because you're watching my second playthrough. My first playthrough, I used mostly happy. Really? So I wonder if this is just me trying something different without realizing it. Sure. But the first playthrough was mostly happy. But I really love the emotional take on it because the game is all about emotions and mental health, mental illness, uh, how you cope with things, how you react to things, trauma response. Uh, So it's very incredible that they utilize this. And each emotion has multiple tiers. So you can be happy and you can be ecstatic. So you can raise your stats and then you can really raise those stats. You can be sad. You can be depressed. You can be angry. You can be enraged. 
So they can really take everything to another tier, especially the further in the game you go, you see how much more this can be utilized. And that stuff really pairs with the story. Yeah. So they're tying gameplay aspects, buffs, debuffs, stuff like that, right to uh, the emotional feel of the story. Yeah. And I would say that gamers who are looking for something very high paced, uh, like a lot of like first person shooter gamers um, or competitive gamers may not find the same pull in this as a lot of the more leisurely or narrative driven players would find. But I thoroughly enjoyed the fact that this was very plot driven. The continuity in the game is incredible. You can find things in any part of the map and you'll relate it to another part or even in the other world with the realistic world. Um, I think that anybody who pays attention to plot, narrative, side quests uh, will really get into this game. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Well, it really pulls you in. And like like you told me when you started, it has a little bit of a slow start. Mm -hmm. It really wants you to introduce you to the characters. Uh, But once you get going, man, stuff starts happening. You realize the parallels between this dream world and the real world and how this affects that. And it really, really gets you intrigued in, man, I guess the mental state of these characters is really, really does a really good job of doing that. Yeah. And that will lead us right into graphics. I think that they really utilize the uh, graphics of this game to portray how you should be feeling and experiencing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like I said, top down 8-bit, but the neon and pastel palettes just make you feel so childlike and nostalgic while you play it. Lots of toys and puzzles and cute things littered throughout, cute animals, even cute enemies sometimes. But then when they want you to switch, they do. And you get this like sketchbook style, really creepy, dark line work of art that makes you feel really uneasy and uncomfortable and even anxious. And I think they do an excellent way of an excellent job of switching you between really comfortable and happy and like, this is so cute to, I don't know what's going on. I don't like it. Well, even the art style uh, really ties into the childlike, you know, nature of the entire game because a lot of, uh, especially like the bosses, they're filled in with like colored pencil or crayon. Like it looks like a eight year old did it. So they really, really lean into that childlike, whimsical, you know, effect of the of the full game. Yeah, and the juxtaposition of going from that dreamlike world to nighttime in the real world, where you got all the spooky stuff going yeah. on. I mean, the darks, the blacks, the the really uh, straight edge line work that they do with the enemies. They go from like. In this dream world, you're fighting like really round, fluffy bunnies, cute. Even even like the spider bunnies are still fluffy. Like they're meant to be kind of creepy-ish, but they're still cute. But then you go back to the real world and you're dealing with this like obviously deep personal issue where you're fighting these monsters that you can't really make out what they are. But you see these really deformed, straight edge lines and dark colors that just make you feel very anxious and uneasy. And I think they do an excellent job of pulling your emotions one way or another. Yes. Yeah, I I agree. I love, you know, I grew up playing 8-bit, 16-bit stuff. And a lot of people will say, well, those graphics suck. But it's really the, it's a choice, right? It's the art direction to go that way. And it totally works in Amori. Yeah. I mean, even the colors of the characters in Dreamworld, Amori is totally black and white. Mm -hmm. And his friends are like purples and blues. And when you go into the real world, it's just typical, like, human color like realistic colors so like every decision this game makes is a very 
uh, purposeful choice, everything. Um, and the more you explore, the more you realize this. Yeah. Can we talk about toast? Oh, man. Uh, when you die in Amori, uh, you turn into toast. Like you're, you're toast. toast. You're literally, your character turns into a piece of toast. And Aubrey, one of the, the girl in the group, uh, she has a little bow on her toast. So she yeah. dies and she has a cute little bow. And it's I, like realistic. It's like photorealistic piece of toast. It's like the only thing in the game that's not hand drawn. Yeah. It looks like an actual. And there are like realistic aspects. And I think that's really fun and creative about the game too, is they'll have like photorealistic graphics when they want to. Like, when they want to make you feel uneasy about the door in front of you, everything will be animated, but then they'll have a very hyper-realistic door. And you just, you're like, mm, I yeah. don't know how I feel about this. Yeah. They know, like I said, everything is a very purposeful choice and you can tell in this game. And I think that's really incredible and really ties into everything that they're trying to do. So let's talk about uh, the story. It's obviously a deep one, right? Yeah, this is one of the most depressing, sorrowful, and scarring plots i've ever experienced in a video game which is totally right up my alley i love games that can make me cry and what's very interesting without spoiling anything about this game is how self-reflective it will make many people feel um if they're anything like me i really found myself looking at how i've handled grieving in my own past and how i my own trauma responses to things and you just you'll see yourselves reflected in some of these characters and and it feels silly because you're looking at this girl with pink hair and she's so silly and funny and but you're like damn like i feel this i feel the way she's reacting i've been in these shoes in this little anime girl's shoes that makes no sense to me and i'm crying like (laughs) it's it's incredible and what's even more incredible about this game is you will continuously think you understand the plot and that you understand the twist and that you know what happened, um, what's going on. And it's so hard not to spoil this game because truly every minute of this game is a spoiler. You just keep going further in. And all I can really talk about to the plot is that you are trying to uncover a forgotten past about yourself, about the protagonist. You've forgotten something and you are trying to figure it out through this dreamlike world as well as your real world before you move in three days in the real world. And the way that they just keep diving in and you think, wow, this is messed up. This is messed up. But I understand. Then you're like, oh, my God, I was completely wrong about everything. They really do a great job of these plot twists around every corner, making you feel uneasy, not knowing what's going on. I was just completely blown away by the main plot of the game. Yeah, there's a bunch of, I mean, we talked about this. There's a pretty big reveal early on, and we discussed, do we talk about it? And we decided not to, Yeah. even though it's pretty on. It's right after the prologue. Yeah, it's pretty early on, and it's super important to even explaining the game, but there's no value in even uh, spoiling that because it's so important. I think you even had a friend that was playing it that texted you as soon as, soon as it happened. Yeah. Um, it's got a lot of those moments I can tell tell already. And it's almost like I look forward to them. I don't yeah. know if that's weird, but I that's look exactly forward to it. these big emotional bombshells that just change the game entirely from this real sweet, innocent thing to something that really makes you feel. I think that that is absolutely it. And I think that it is a very coherent representation of mental illness um, without getting too much into it. I've really, I played a lot of games where they said, 
just this is a game about schizophrenia. This is a game about experiencing depression. Mm-hmm. Amori didn't do that. You want to you go into this game. I went into this game not knowing anything. I went I I literally googled horror indie games and this one came up and I played it not knowing a single thing and when I finished it I thought to myself this is one of the best representations of trauma response and mental illness I've ever seen. It's it really it truly is. Anybody that has been through anything very difficult in their lives I think needs to play this game and deal with their shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lean into it. Yes, absolutely. And they need to play it alone in an environment where they don't feel like they're going to be judged because this is really going to make you look at yourself and what you've been through. It truly is. Yeah. And that's not even what it looks like on the outside. No. If you looked at a screenshot or, you know, when you told me you were playing, I tried to check it out a little bit and you were like, I can't even explain the depths of what this game goes into. Right. There's so many layers to this game and I can tell that the creators had this entire game in mind for a long time uh this was something this was like their livelihood they wanted to get this story out there for everybody and they did it and i think that more people need to play this game (laughs) as far as soundtrack goes i think amori has one amori is the only game i've ever downloaded the soundtrack for oh really yeah i found it on spotify there's like five or six songs that just tear jerk me at this point (laughs) Uh, I think that it does a great job of representing the emotion of the level. Um, I know that even when we were recently were in like the Sprout Mole colony, you were like, I love this soundtrack. It's great. It's very like, I don't know if 8-bit is a soundtrack style, but it's very like old school, like Mm -hmm. cute. But they add these other elements to it that heighten the mood. Like it'll be like Renaissance, but 8-bit fun. Like. I don't get it, what they're doing. Well, and it's wide ranging yes. too. Because, well, because of the emotions in the game. So there's yeah. lots of uh, really happy things that are really light and energetic. And then there's really sad, somber, ambient, almost horror music types, types of segments as well. Again, I won't spoil anything, but one of the craziest things I've ever experienced with a soundtrack was in this game. And... It was after I beat it, when I beat it the first time, I got the best possible ending, thank God. Mm-hmm. And it was the perfect ending for me. I was very pleased with it. But obviously, I had to go online right away and watch the other endings. And again, I won't spoil, nobody freak out. But Zach and I watched one of the other endings, and it's called The Bad Ending. It's the worst ending you can get. And it is super messed up and so just. Nope. Disturbing. Lots of nope. And lots of nope. And the song they pick for it is absolutely not what you would expect and it just uh, zach and i like our jaws dropped and i don't i can't even explain it without spoiling anything but we just looked at each other like this is nuts so are you going for this ending on yeah, your second play i'm gonna do the bad ending yeah. this time so you're gonna see that sorry nope, uh, but i will happily show you the happy ending another time because okay. the, okay. the, the the best ending it really thank god i got that otherwise i don't know how my mental health would be <laughs> uh but you start associating the certain sounds or music with certain characters like Mari, uh, your sister in the game. Every time you see her, a certain song plays. You just associate it with mm-hmm. her. And I think that's really important to this game since it's tying in so much with perception of how you see and experience things around you. So the soundtrack, 
super pleased with it. Yeah, I'm happy with it too. I've been whistling. It, it gets in your head. Yes. I'll just whistle along with it. Yes, yeah. especially the white space. That one gets yeah. in my head a lot. Yeah. Um, all around value replayability. I'm replaying it right now. <laughs> yep. But I don't think it has a super high replay value, to be honest. As addictive as the game was for me, what was addictive about it was the main plot. I really wanted to know what was going on. I wanted to know what we had forgotten, what the protagonist had gone through, uh, what was happening, what was going to happen. What I had so many guesses. I I just kept playing through the main plot that I skipped a lot of the side stuff. I mean, now you're watching my stream mm-hmm. and I'm going to whole lands whole worlds i have never even been to because i'm taking my time this time i think that the main plot is amazing it's perfect but you get so engrossed in it and the side quests don't really have much to do with it that you overlook a lot of really beautiful things in the game so i think that they really need to incorporate a new game plus so that you can go back and do the side stuff that you missed or they need to incorporate the main plot somehow into the side quests in some way that you feel more involved or you're learning more yeah, about Yeah, like it's the giving story. you more story. Yeah, like collectibles, anything that can kind of teach you more. They have they do have collectibles, but it you can find them all along the main quest. So they really don't take you far as far as exploration. And I felt that the plot tended to chug a little slowly at times, if that makes sense. I felt that it had a very slow start. The prologue felt very slow for me. I actually remember, because I was looking forward to this console release for a long time, when I initially started it and you're fighting like the level one fluffy bunnies, I was like, why did I pay for this? Yeah. Uh, it has a very slow start, but it kind of roller coasters. You have like a slow start, slow start, and then you're going down and you're like, holy hell, what is this happening? And then you kind of chug back up again. Mm-hmm. And then it's very much like a roller coaster. But there is a point of no return that they don't tell you about. So I was like, okay, I have these side quests. I'll just do it the last day of the game because you have three days before you move. Right. And they don't tell you your point of no return. So I never got a chance to do them because I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? And I went to the next area and then it was like, bam, 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 main plot for the next six hours of the game and you're right. done so how long is the main story like if you didn't do any side quests i would guess probably like 40 hours without side quests i would say around probably this is a guess because my second playthrough i'm doing more but i feel like it's probably around 60 hours with the side quests they have a lot you can do but you're just so engrossed like i almost wonder if it was necessary to have these side quests I think it's just introducing uh, something the game does really well is all the characters are really different and engaging and yeah. have these different personalities. And I think they're just introducing you to more of those, more of the world. Or, yeah. Or we'll see. You know, you haven't done all of them. You know, maybe it'll have some kind of effect. But yeah. I think it's more of just flushing out the, the world that you're in. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it is super fun. It's just the main plot is just so insane that you just don't even want to take the time for the side stuff. And the side stuff is fun and amazing and cute and childish. And you're like, I love this world that I'm in. I want to experience more of it. But also like the messed up stuff, the dark, disturbing, like, why am I feeling this way stuff? That just draws you in too much. Yeah, that's what keeps you going. Yeah. 
So all in all, I think that it was a great game, but I don't think the replay value is super high, even though I'm replaying it right now. <laughs> it's because you love it. Yeah, I do. I It really is a, not to be dramatic, but it is one of those games that really changed me, I think. I think it really changed how I look at some things that I went through. You'll remember this one. Yeah, for sure. And that's when a game makes, it, makes an impact, especially in its storytelling. Yeah. You know, if it can move you, if you can remember it, if you can recommend it to people... If it helps you, if it scares you, you know, yeah. whatever. And I think Amoria is one of those types of games that really hits on some triggers, you know, in your personal life and, and things like that, because not all games do that. There's yeah. a lot of mindless stuff out there, but there's a lot of good stuff that can really, uh, you know, self-reflective types of things that can really pull those things out of you. Yeah. I think emotionally, this is a high risk, high reward game. Like you have to be vulnerable and allow yourself to be vulnerable while you play it. Um, absolutely. But you also have to be able to understand what you're playing. Right. So you would recommend this. Would you highly recommend this? Yes, absolutely. I absolutely recommend this game to everyone out there. Uh, well, no. I absolutely recommend this game to anybody who isn't a highly competitive gamer. I think that if you strictly play competitive, fast-paced games, this is not the game for you. But if you're looking for something with emotional pull, narrative-driven, turn-based, old school, I think this will be great. And probably be in the right headspace and know what you're getting into. Yeah. Birds and Swords on Twitch. You can watch me play Amori and then decide if you want to play it too. We are right in the middle of it and it's super fun. So those are our thoughts on Amori. Thank you, Alyssa. Yeah, we're having a great time playing that. She definitely recommends it. And we are streaming this on Twitch. Well, Alyssa is. I am watching. Uh, you can check us out on our Twitch channel, Birds and Swords, B-I-R-D-S-A-N-D-S-W-O-R-D-S. Please follow us. Um, I'm loving it. You're loving it. You yes. And you definitely recommend that, right? Yes, absolutely. All right. We are signing off. Thanks for spending the time with us. And we will talk to you all soon. Studio now open in Farmington, Missouri, is your trusted podcast studio and digital marketing agency that will provide you with reliable results. The Barn Studio has industry standard quality and state of the art equipment that will help you in producing your best work. We offer many services that can benefit your creative endeavor and ensure that it will grow and succeed. We are ready to help with all of your podcasting needs. Be sure to contact The Barn Studio at 573 330 4452 or the Barn Podcast Network at gmail.com for a list of services and pricing. Give us a call, that number again, 573-330-4452 to discuss your podcasting options and marketing goals.